0: How do we know that the Bible we have today is the Bible God inspired? That's the question we're discussing today on the Here of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Brian Demosic, Managing Editor of The Gospel Project, and with me is Aaron Armstrong, our brand manager. So today we're talking about the doctrine that's called the preservation of scripture, and, and this is a really important one as we think about uh, studying God's Word and to know that we're studying the Word as God intended. So as always, Aaron, why don't you? start us off by reading the uh, the text of the 99 Essential Doctrine, and then we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, sounds good. All right. So, to get us started, the preservation of Scripture means this. God has chosen to reveal himself to humanity through the text of Scripture, having inspired it and directed it to be free from error. God has also acted providentially throughout the course of history to ensure the biblical text is faithfully preserved for future generations. Our belief in the preservation of Scripture is supported by Invest investigation into how the canon of scripture was formed and how manuscripts were faithfully transmitted through the centuries
0: yeah so that last uh, phrase there that last sentence especially I think is important Aaron you know as always there's a lot we we, we pack in quite a bit into these short paragraphs but how how could mm-hmm. you boil it down a little bit more succinctly if you you know just one phrase how would you articulate what the preservation of scripture really is all about
1: Sure. Uh, Well, really at the, at its heart, the, the preservation of scripture is really about this idea that God has worked providentially to protect the scriptures and canonize it properly. And so what that ultimately means for us is that um, the, the Bible that we have, um, the, that we can have confidence that it's still the message That God intended for us to have that the Bible that we have today is the Bible that God always wanted us to have.
0: Yeah, and that's important because we will hear quite often from outside the church and even inside the church at times people arguing that, you know, well, we can't trust the Bible because it's not it's not the same Bible that was originally given. Right yeah or, right. or, or which one you know you say you, you believe in the Bible and you should live out the Bible, but which one? you have all these different translations and so forth and, and uh, the, the Roman Catholic Bible is different than the Protestant Bible and so a lot of times mm-hmm. you'll hear people press in and try to take the legs out from under faith in Christ based on these claims that the Bible is not reliable. So yeah. th- this speaks to that.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it, and it's and we've got to be honest too. This is a this is a hard one to get a grasp of in some ways, um, because there are some there are some really good questions that have to be addressed, and but thankfully there are good answers.
0: Yes, yeah, we'll talk about in, in a couple of minutes that there are some problem passages. I think that's one of the the better yeah. terms for these. That there are a handful of passages that we have to admit. Create some problems for us. Now, again, as you said, I think we have some good answers uh, about these problem passages, but to to not acknowledge them and deal with them is problematic as well. So let's start. um, Let's push a little bit further. Where do we see this uh, doctrine in Scripture? Well, there
1: are a few places that we that we see this coming into play. Um, there, you know, if you, if we start in the old Testament, if you look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse eight, for example, um, one of the things that, that it says there is the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. And so there is, there is an acknowledgement within scripture from prophets um, people who were speaking on behalf of God and speaking the message that He wanted them wanted his people at that time and us today to hear and know and understand that his his word doesn't doesn't disappear. It doesn't end. it It doesn't exhaust itself the way that the the rest of the creation
0: does. Yeah, it's it, God gave us Scripture to uh, to persevere. It it, uh, yeah. it, it it is meant to last the test of time, and we know it has. I mean, think about this: here we are in 2019, almost 2020, and mm-hmm. uh, we are still. Studying scriptures that were written thousands of years ago, and they're just as meaningful today. They speak to today. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's another. Often we will hear people claim, "Well, the Bible's an outdated book," and so forth. And we know if you spend any time in it and give it a, a, a fair read. It does speak to, to issues today. It does address what we're dealing with. And so there is this timelessness and this reliability, not only in the message that it contains, but also how we how we've been handed that uh, text down from generation to generation. You know, yeah, I think of of Jesus in Matthew uh, five, where he's talking about the preservation of Scripture and saying, "Hey, not even the smallest letter, the the jot or tittle, we often hear it translated that way. The smallest letter or smallest stroke will pass away." He's affirming. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ affirms the enduring nature of of Scripture.
1: Hmm. Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, we have to. If we are consistent in our faith, we have to take seriously the way that Jesus describes describes this when he says that um, there none of this will will pass away until all of it is accomplished. Uh, there's always going to be a need for. The scriptures in the life of the Christian, as long as we live in this world, when the new creation comes, when Jesus returns, and all things are made new, well, things are going to be different then. But until then, the scriptures are here here for us to help us um, grow in faith and godliness and know um, and to know Him. And so, he says the same, he says, just like he says in Matthew 5, 18, he says in 20, Matthew 24, 35, that um, even the heaven, heaven and earth will pass away, but his words, my words, he says, will never pass away.
0: And again, we, we've seen this. This is one of those doctrines that not only do we see in scripture, and we need to. Uh, that's why we start mm-hmm. every one of these discussions by looking at where it is in scripture. That, of course, is our, our source of authority. But we also yeah. see this practically so so readily. I mean, the Bible that we hold, and, and again, we're going to talk about these, these uh, handful of, of problem passages in a minute, but to, to mm-hmm. hold the Bible and know how it's been uh, handed down from generation to generation, how, knowing the, the, the careful attention that translators take and, and copyists way back in the manuscript period took, um, mm-hmm. it, there is great, as I've studied this, it has done nothing but increased my confidence in God's word. Uh, Jesus is true. He is faithful. And I think another part of this is you rewind even to as scripture is being written. And we've talked about the process of inspiration before. The writers recognize that. In in 2 Peter 3.16, Peter references how Paul was writing scripture. So mm-hmm. there's an awareness. So here Peter was aware that his peer, Paul, was writing scripture and it was elevated. It was held to that higher standard as it should be. Um, and so mm-hmm. from the very beginning, it's not like these authors wrote these books and then the church said, hey, these look like special books. Let's let's make let's take them more seriously. From the very beginning, mm-hmm. God's word has been held dearly and has continued to be held dearly. And again, that to me is, is further comfort and evidence that this doctrine is, is genuine.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we also have to, um, I mean, you mentioned the, the practical side as, as well uh, just a moment ago. uh, But we have to have to remember that if, if God has given us this, this book to instruct us and to guide us then he is going to keep it i mean this is what romans 15 4 says as well that uh for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures so paul um just like just like peter and just like jesus as well he is Everyone is pointing us back to the scriptures as a source of truth. And so for scripture to scripture functionally to say, trust me, yes, um, for God to say through the Bible, maybe that's a better way to say it for God to say through the scriptures, through the people that he used to write the scriptures. You can trust this book. I have written it for you f- so that you can have hope, so that you can endure, and so that you can find encouragement in every word. That has to give us confidence.
0: Yeah, and, and it kind of takes us to our, our cautions that I want us to move toward. And the, and the first caution is actually a little bit more of an encouragement. And it's yeah. a, in light of this. you know, I, 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 I've I just come to the conclusion a long time ago, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first or the only, uh, but... If, as you said, if God's intention was for us to have this scripture and to, for it to endure, and if God is sovereign, if he's all-powerful, why is it a problem for me to think that he could bring that to pass? And mm-hmm. to, to say it a different way, if I believe that God is the creator God who spoke everything into existence... Why is it problematic for me to believe that he could preserve Scripture as he intended a few thousand years? Um, it's it's really an argument from the greater to the lesser. That mm-hmm. you know, again, if if I if I don't believe that God could preserve Scripture, and this is where the caution comes in, if I reject yes. this doctrine, if I don't believe that God has the power to preserve Scripture, then why do I believe He's Creator? Why do I believe He can bring death from life? Life from death. Why do I believe he could preserve the man in the belly of a fish for three days? You know, all the other miracles start to become suspect if I discount God's ability to preserve His book.
1: Yeah, exactly. Really, if we believe that God can ra- can raise a man from the dead, it should be no problem for Him to keep um, to keep this book faithfully conveying His message. To the world throughout the centuries, definitely.
0: So, in light yeah. of that, let's let's jump. Let's talk about the uh, the proverbial elephant in the corner of the room. Um, mm-hmm. let, let's talk about these problem passages. Now, there, as we've alluded to a few times, there are a handful of passages uh, that we would call problem passages. Uh, you could probably Google mm-hmm. search these. There are books on these a, as well, um, mm-hmm. and and there are ones that we have to raise an eyebrow. Can Can you kind yeah. of give an example uh, of any of these or, or the, the topics or the issues that that cause these problems.
1: Um, well, what you'll what you'll often see in general um, in in this is when this argument comes up is actually more people not pointing to specifics but just saying you know the Bible has lots of errors in it yes, and which we can refute you know and often what people will be doing there is is they'll look at um, they'll look at what are often actually paradoxes in the text. Um, so they'll look at the content of scripture sometimes, which is a whole different issue altogether. Um, um, or they they'll say or they'll see in Proverbs where um, where in one verse it will say to do one thing and then in the next verse to do the opposite. When really what it's saying is is in certain circumstances exactly. this is the wisest approach. Where where this one is is the other. So there's a little bit of a straw man that's being set up yeah, there.
0: and at one point there's there's some people are not fair when it comes to the Bible, but but let's talk about the ones that yeah. are fair.
1: Yes, absolutely. So one of the things that we do have to have to wrestle with is, is that the script the copies of the scriptures that are used in translation work today and have been for centuries, none of these are the original manuscripts in so far as we know. And so and and there have been actually significant numbers of um copyist errors in Um, In these, there is um, legitimately there is virtually no manuscript that we have that doesn't contain one somewhere. And but here's but here's the thing that's interesting about about these. The copyist errors that that exist, about ninety nine percent of them, some ridiculous number like that um, were amount to basically a typo. Exactly. Or or transposing a word. Those yeah. kinds of things. They're 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 issues that when you just read them plainly, they they work themselves out and they make sense. And yeah. so there but there are some that actually are a little bit more confusing. Mm-hmm. Um and but what's interesting about those ones as well is they don't present uh, they they don't affect any significant doctrine exactly um, the and and really the bigger. With those those bigger copyist issues that that we're talking about, they're actually more issues of pass of passages or verses that are in certain later manuscripts but aren't
0: in the earliest ones yeah. so th- that's what I was going to um, interrupt a minute ago and and just affirm yeah. that none of these issues of of the and again, we're not talking about a large number, but of these no. of all of these copyist issues, They don't present any problems about doctrine. Um, They don't cause any problems on that level. Uh, Let's give you a couple Mm -hmm. examples for anybody who may not be familiar. So, for example, um, in the Old Testament, there are two different places that references the number of uh, horse stalls that Solomon had. And if I remember off the top of my head, it's either 10,000 or 1,000. So, th- yes. that's clearly a copyist issue where, um, as it was being written, either somebody forgot uh, the Hebrew equivalent of a zero, or they added one by accident, or the parchment got smudged and the next person couldn't tell. Does it matter whether Solomon had 10,000 or 1,000? No. But we have to acknowledge he didn't have both. He either had 10,000 yes. or 1,000, more likely 1,000. Um but we have to acknowledge if if, if, a, if a skeptic pushed in or somebody sincerely wanting to know this pushed back and said, hey, this doesn't make sense to me, we'd have to acknowledge, yeah, that there's an issue there. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, absolutely. does that impact salvation? Does it? No. Faith, no. Um, no. One of the biggest ones going to the other end of the spectrum would be the ending of Mark. Um, I was just about to go there. Yeah. If you, if you look, um, and depending on what translation you use, some Bibles will leave it off entirely entirely. Um, and, and they'll end Mark earlier, maybe have a footnote mm-hmm. explaining this. Others will have it in brackets and they'll have a footnote at the bottom, usually saying something like this, th- these verses do not appear in the older or more reliable manuscripts. Um, mm-hmm. The account of the woman called in adultery is another one. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other one I can think of off the top of my head is the Ethiopian eunuch, one verse about him saying, I think it's where he says there's water, why don't I be baptized? yes so and and there are a handful of others but if you think about those now there are some interesting things at the ending of mark <laughs> uh, but none of those change anything about our understanding of of god or his plan of salvation correct
1: correct that is that is a significant thing i mean you have essentially in although there there is there is much to be gained from even the end of Mark. Um, you have what's essentially an epilogue that is um, has a pecu- has a bit of a peculiar take on um, some of the similar events that we see at the end of Matthew, Luke, beginning of Acts, um, the these kinds of these kinds of things. So there, so it's not like that material isn't there in Scripture. Um, it's but. The question is, is what happened and, and to, for it to end up being there in Mark. And the truth is, is we don't know. Um, It may well have been a copyist who was, um, was writing down some, was writing down some notes. We may actually find someday an early manuscript that does include it. And that would change our perspective on it as well. It would have to. Um, And yeah. And now, before we go before we go too much further, one of the things that we do have to have to address is this fact that we keep talking about early manuscripts.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, let's pause here. Let's uh, briefly let's explain for anybody who's listening who is not familiar with this that process.
1: Yes. So um, broadly, how translation translation currently works is that it does not that Bible translations are not approached from working on from working through one single, Document. Yeah. Um. In fact, in fact, uh, and it's not, and it's tip, and it's very atypical. In fact, for any translation to be completed by one individual. Yes. Most translations, including the including the CSB, which is uh, which is published through Holman Bibles, which is part of Lifeway, um, is is produced by a committee of scholars who, um, who are experts in the in the languages that the scriptures were originally written in so these translation committees will work on this material in order to and will will examine um and compare uh, um, manuscripts against one another to see where essentially where is their consensus uh, between them um on top of that we also have um have some incredible tools available to us um in recent in recent uh, decades, in particular, um, we've been able to better date the translations that we do have, and on top of that, we've actually been able, or the manuscripts that we have, and on top of that, we've been able to identify even more and discover even more. Copies of the scriptures uh, um, and certain books, either in part or in whole, than have ever been available to us.
0: Well, let me pause here. Let me let me ask. Let me actually take us back even a step further for somebody who may not understand. They hear us talking about copies and so forth, and still may not yes. quite understand. So let me start from the beginning and again cover this quickly to, to bring us back to where you are. So think of mm-hmm. Paul writing the book. Uh, Philippians. He wrote a letter to Philippi, wrote that most likely on some kind of parchment or animal skin that would not last. That's one of the mm-hmm. reasons why we don't have a lot of the originals that we know of, because they were written on 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 materials that would break down. Yes. So Paul wrote the the Philippians to to the church, sends it to the church of Philippi, All of his letters were meant to be shared with other churches, so they would hold on to that original copy, probably, and they would then copy, they would make additional copies so they could send it to the other churches in the region. So this is what we mean by copies, that that originally the way the Bible was, was, was transmitted to other local churches was making these copies. And so then you have the history of copies being made from copies. So maybe the church at Philippi sends a copy of the letter of Philippians to the church at Ephesus. Well, they don't go back to Philippi to copy it as well. They just copy what they got. So yeah. you you start sending so you start seeing this larger number of manuscripts they're called being created. Now you can start seeing how errors can occur. If you ever try to uh, by hand copy something, you know how it can be challenging. So mm-hmm. what we do is is we look at as copies were made and you have more and more manuscripts. The way it ha- the way this works is you have the experts look back. And they find all the manuscripts, and we have tons of manuscripts available. There's more manuscript evidence for the Bible than any other book of antiquity. Right. Even when... Sorry. I was going to, even allowing four times in the Roman empire demanded that they be destroyed. We lost a yeah. lot of manuscripts because of that. Um, and yeah. early Christians lost their lives. They risked their lives and lost them often to preserve manuscripts. So what happens is you have this large number of manuscripts. Well, how do you know which one's correct if there is two that are different? Well, there are two basic tests. And I'm going to simplify this just, just to be simple. Mm-hmm. Um, one is quantity. It would make sense. if mm-hmm. you have 99. Uh, manuscripts that all have the word green in it, and one manuscript has blue, which one do you think is right? Most likely the ones that say green. The Mm -hmm. other is geographic diversity. If you've got manuscripts spread out that all say green, and you have a bunch that say blue just in one area, then there is this thought that that blue got mistranslated, got written incorrectly in that one region, and they kept copying that mistake over and over because it was isolated. So what the scholars do today is, again, they look at all these manuscripts and they, they take this into account. The older is usually more reliable and the quantity is usually more reliable. But this is where the tension comes in. What happens if you find some good, reliable, seemingly manuscripts that have the ending of Mark in it, for example, and others do not? What mm-hmm. do you do? And that's where the tension is. That's where, you know, that passage is included with footnotes, and saying, "Hey, this appears some places, but it doesn't appear others." So that's right. that's kind of bringing us from the beginning to where you were talking.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and and thank you for for backing up a little bit farther for um for us. So um, while. While you don't have to go in depth, um, like the average person doesn't have to go into even that level of depth. And really, um even just what you're what you're saying um is just skimming the surface. Yes. Um, Trevin Wax, who is our general editor with the gospel project and and our Bible publisher at at lifeway. um he could probably he would not probably nothing. He would be able to talk for hours on end about, About how this works and how this happens, because he's been in the room for it. Yes. And, um, and he's been in the, uh, in the midst of the wrestles. And this is the thing is, is that even on a translation committee, Um, people, people will disagree based on their, on their perspective, their training and, and, um, and their, uh, and their tradition as well.
0: Yeah. And this, Um, Aaron, let me just pause. This takes us to, and I want you to continue this thought in a second. Uh, but this takes us to the other major caution that I want us to talk about is the different translations. Why do we have so many different translations? Let's assume for a second that we could land on the proper manuscript evidence we would still yeah. have different translations right yeah absolutely absolutely because and, and and why
1: well um and ultimately it comes down to different philosophies um yes. as the as the primary piece of it um and so what we mean by that is why what we mean by philosophies we're not talking about um theological reinvention in in this context what we're talking about functionally is is the I is the reality that uh, different translations ultimately serve different purposes so um, for for so some translations are highly, are highly literal in that they present the the text the way that um, essentially the way that it is in greek or hebrew um, more or less transliterated so it's not it's not working it into um, nearly as readable a form of english as um, as as some other translations
0: this is usually called word for word um, translation mm-hmm. and it can come across as wooden at times.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And um, so, um, versions of the um, I understand they they just released a new edition of this or are about to release a new edition of this. But the New American Standard is an example of that. It is it is very precise, but it is it is one that is very very hard to read. It is probably it's probably on that farthest end of that spectrum you know on the other flip side the 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 farthest you could probably go is um is to say something like the message uh eugene peterson's um paraphrase of scripture really um and and it's recognizable obviously but it's it's an attempt to make it um, but it's re- it's really more about, um, form <laughs> and, and
0: or, uh, yeah. And thoughts, you know, it's yeah. a- a- anybody who's, who knows another language, a second language, German, French, Italian, whatever, Spanish, you know, that their translation is not necessarily a one to one ratio. There are times there are certain words or nuances in one language mm-hmm. don't convey to another or idioms, um, expressions, you know, we use expressions in North America all the time that if, that if we went and said it literally to somebody somewhere else, they would say, this makes no sense. So the two schools of thought, the the word for word is no, we're going to keep it as faithful. So you're studying the words that were there. The thought for thought Mm -hmm. is no, but it doesn't help if you don't understand the idiom, we're going to explain it for you. So there's a little bit more, there's a little more interpretation in the thought for thought. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so um and so really like the the technical terms for these are um fun, uh formal formal or fun uh or functional equivalence and dynamic equivalence. So formal being word for word, dynamic being thought for thought, and then in between there's a whole spectrum of them. So um So really the, the farthest end on, on a formal translation is actually an interlinear Bible. The, the NASB is the next closest to that. Then you would have things like the ESV, the King James, the new King James, those all lean into the formal, the formal equivalents or word for word translation philosophy. Um, the, NIV, the NLT, uh, the CEB, the message, those all lean toward uh, lean toward or are fully vested in um, a dynamic equivalence or thought for thought translation philosophy where and then there's then there's the CSB, which tries to strike a great balance between the two. We and both of us, I think, would say that not just because we work for Lifeway, but
0: because we actually like this translation. Exactly. I've, I've fallen in love with it. It's a great translation. Yeah. So so real quick, just to kind of put a capstone on this. Uh, again, we we have to understand there are different translations. And sometimes I've heard this, people arguing, well, if God wanted us to know the Bible, why wouldn't he give us one translation? Why so many? Well, here's why. They're all helpful. You know, for me, the rule of thumb is you start with a word-for-word translation. You start with something like the CSB, um, the, the NASB, or the ESV, one, something like that. And you do your primary study in it. But it is helpful mm-hmm. at times to pull over a thought-for-thought translation. Um, to aid your studying. There's nothing wrong with using this variety of tools. And it's great to be able to compare and mm-hmm. contrast and understand what were the translators wrestling with? Why Why did this translation use this word and this other one chose this word? What's going on there? And it can mm-hmm. be really meaningful study. Um, yeah. and, and again, remember, God's desire is for us to know his word and to learn from it and to live it out. So these, it's not... For chaos or confusion, it's really this mindset of man. These can be helpful, right?
1: Um, the other thing that we we need to to notice there too is um, is really just that um, along with that that it's that both kinds aid in study um, is that language is always changing. Yes, and it is. So because language changes, um, we need to we need to have new. Translations of the Bible that that accurately and and helpfully communicate the truth of God's word to people in their context.
0: Yeah, and you know, the, the as I've taught on this in the past, the uh, one of the words I've used uh, is the word bad. Um, if you were to find a, a document from the 1960s in, in in the United States and it had. Aaron was was a bad man, you would, you would interpret that differently than if you found a document from the 1980s, say, where it says Aaron was a bad man. Because at some point, that term bad became synonymous with cool or, you know, impressive. So... One writer could Just be using the same period of time. For a brief period of time. You could be using the same term, but have completely different meanings based on when it was written. And that that's what yeah. the scholars wrestle with. What did these words mean at that time and, and how were yeah. they used and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. So um so Brian
1: as we as we come to the close of our conversation on this there's a there's a big question that we should that we need to wrestle with which is this what difference should The preservation of scripture, this, this essential doctrine make in the lives of Christians.
0: Yeah. You know, I really, we've kind of intimated this, but just to say it again, clearly, I believe Mm -hmm. the more you spend time in this doctrine, the greater confidence you have in the Bible. We hold, Yeah. It is understandable for somebody in ignorance to ask these questions. Why so many translations? Can we trust it? How do we know it's been several thousand years? How do we know? You know, it's a phone game. We can't even, you know, carry one sentence faithfully between 10 people. Why should we trust the Bible? (laughs) Those are fair questions. But the more we study this, the more we learn about it, I am convinced the greater confidence we have. So this this doctrine fosters confidence in Scripture, which, as we've talked about in our other uh, doctrines based on Scripture or about Scripture, th- this is a linchpin. This is how we know who God is. This is how we know His plan of salvation. This is how we know what it looks like to live out in light of our salvation. The Bible is such a central part of who we are, what we do, what we believe, that this doctrine gives me confidence that when I study scripture, when I seek to live it out, I'm being faithful to what God actually has given us as his word. So the more study, Mm -hmm. the greater confidence we have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great place to end this, this on. I don't know if I can add anything to that. So let's not
0: yeah, let's not. let's just call it. This has been a, a good conversation. I hope it's been helpful. Yeah. Um, this is one where it's a little bit more heady, a little bit more academic at times, but so important. So I hope it's been helpful for our listeners. So thank you, as always, for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you did enjoy this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.